Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Jamcast. It is Mike Fenoya, your host, as usual. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great week. Hope you saw some live music. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Matt Ruby. Hi, bud. Hey, man. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for joining me. We're in the East Village on a very cold uh, spring day. It's it is spring. spring. Wow. All right. It doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like it, but it is technically spring. Do you ever listen to different music based on the weather? Like, are, are you an all-day, everyday music listener? Um, most days I do listen to music. I feel like the whole like podcast world has maybe lessened the amount that I listen to music compared to what I used to do. But uh, no, I still think every day I, I would check in at some point with music of some sort. I, I feel like when I leave the house in the morning, like definitely the weather affects the thing I go to for my ride. So I take a bus to work through like Chinatown. And like, I think lately I've been going to like the shins and Bob Dylan. That's Chinatown music, Chinatown, <laughs> cold Chinatown music. Right, right. So, but yeah, I kind of feel like there's certain stuff that I would love to be listening to if it was warmer. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I typically think about that, but if like um, on a beach or something like that, it's definitely feels like, oh, like I, I'm not in the middle of winter being like, I should listen to some reggae. But if I'm like on some island somewhere, yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's put on some Jimmy Cliff or something. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. So you and I have known each other for like, I think you're one of the first people I met and it was way Eric. I open mic at, I think, like Karma or St. Mark's somewhere. That sounds possible. Seven years ago or so, whatever, and I came down. I came down from Connecticut, mm -hmm. and I remember it was like you and Normand and uh, Sam and everybody. All like you know, and I just started to get to know everybody a little bit, you know, and uh, met you guys just briefly in passing. And but I watched everybody's set, and then I went back up to Connecticut, and I was like, I want to have a show at my club in Connecticut, my, my like you know kind of go to home club. And invite some of you guys up. And we had that show, and it was you and Normand and Soder. Sam, and too. Sam yeah, came yeah. up. And uh, it was really fun because, like, I felt like that was part of, like, a little bit of, like, a first taste of New York mm -hmm. for me. And I just felt like, you know, in watching your guys' comedy and in watching, you know, just uh, newer jokes being worked on at, at the mics and stuff, like, I, your guys' style definitely kind of like appealed to me, and um, it was a fun time to have you guys up there. And yeah, like, I remember that yeah. show. It was a good time. I remember when I was living there, I was kind of thinking like it would be really great to somehow try to bridge this gap between like new, like New York and Connecticut as far yeah. as comedy. And then I th like now living here, I'm like, eh. <laughs> I, for some, I feel like the New Haven train station is at midnight is one of my main recollections of that. Uh, journey because i remember being like boy all right i just thought this was like a classy town this is where yale is and stuff i'm at the train station I'm like no i don't i think this is uh <laughs> this is we need obamacare now i get why yeah, absolutely <laughs> it does get very like dicey. when you're at a train station at midnight and you see someone with like breathing apparatus like walk by and just sit down you're like oh you're gonna sleep here now with the oxygen tank <laughs> they in brought the train station air. all right that's, that's what they do thing. there fair enough yeah new haven's an interesting like growing up around there um we weren't allowed. I grew up in a suburb of New Haven, and we weren't allowed to go into town. Like the only time you went into New Haven was to go to the hospital or to go to the doctor <laughs> or to get pizza. Yeah, or go to get pizza. <laughs> right. But like, I remember my dad and my grandfather both like wouldn't want my mom to like drive 
me and her like yeah, in yeah. the city by by ourselves. You know, people always think Connecticut is so classy, and then you know, my dad used to work in Bridgeport, and he, like he would come home, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't think that's a great place to hang out." Not at all, <laughs> no. And Bridgeport's tough. Yeah, Bridgeport's very dicey. Um, so we used to sneak down to uh, Toad's place in mm-hmm. New Haven. It was on York Street, right in Yale campus. And um, when I was in high school, I saw I saw Beck there. I saw Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros there. When I was when my dad was a kid, like the Who played an unannounced show. Yeah, I there. remember the Stones did one of their like kickoff, you know, secret shows at yeah, that place. And Dylan and and um, Talking Heads and a lot of bands played there, and it was like pretty cool to like have that like type of a venue so close to home mm-hmm. you know and to be able to like go chill out and see some great shows did you like growing up were there any like like great clubs that you would go check out no i mean i grew up like suburbs of new york so but i wasn't really into like live music i don't think until i went off to college where i was like in chicago but um in chicago yeah there was you know the Metro, Lounge Axe, Double Door, Empty Bottle um, were kind of like the main places to go see cool bands. Nice. Talk about like Chicago and what in what era, like what years were you in Chicago? Uh, so like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and I was actually in a rock and roll band then. So I was, you know, uh, performing at all those places and going to see a lot of shows. And uh, in, in the music scene, this before I was ever doing comedy. So, yeah. I started doing music before comedy as well uh, when did you start playing music uh i mean i took like piano lessons when i was in like elementary school and i hated it and i had to do it for years and finally like i begged my mom to let me quit and then like five years later i heard led zeppelin and i wanted to learn how to play guitar and so that was like 10th grade maybe when i you know started playing guitar and just you know also i was uh shy and bad at talking to anyone so i just wanted to go home and sit in my room and you know play guitar and get good at something so that was uh how i spent a lot of my time in high school and then you know in college met some other dudes and we started a band and then that mutated into another band and um so yeah like a lot of my chicago days were were being in a rock band and uh doing that whole thing um i remember when i i'm a lefty and i got my first guitar, I think, was in like seventh grade, and it was a Grand Prix. It was like a, you know, like a like a Bradley's electric guitar, mm-hmm. and it was a righty. And I just picked it up. Like now, I didn't know I was lefty. I didn't know anything. I just wanted to play guitar, so I got the cheapest guitar. That I mean, are you righty or lefty typically in life? I'm. I write lefty. Mm-hmm. I throw righty. All right. I bat righty when I play baseball. Um, Brush my teeth lefty, drive lefty, you know, like most. Yeah, I would say the writing lefty seems the most like playing guitar. Yeah, and I just didn't know how to, like, when I picked up the guitar, I just, it. I just remember, like, the first time picking it up, it just felt right that way. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to, they're like, no, you're holding it the wrong way. And I kind of, like, couldn't do it. But we didn't know where to get a lefty guitar. Like, nobody had them. You'd be like uh, Hendrix, string it upside down. String it upside down. So what I did, I didn't have no idea what I was doing, and it was seventh grade. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I started playing it just the wrong way and it made sense to me because the lowest note you could play the low e when you're holding it upside down use your thumb or something well it was like the furthest from you was the lowest note you could play okay and then the highest note was the closest to you and for some weird dyslexic kind of reason that made sense to me and to this day i never understood why a guitar was strung 
the, uh, you know, um, finally got a lefty guitar and then it all made sense. <laughs> My hand just kind of felt like it naturally went back to that way it was supposed to go, you know. Um, do you remember like wh when you like actually went and picked out your first guitar? Was it a hand-me-down? Was it a... Yeah, well, I... Uh, yeah, no, I went to... It was at Sam Ash in uh, White Plains, New York and I got a Japanese Stratocaster and a PV amplifier and... Uh, yeah, no, I totally remember. It was a very uh, impactful day on my life. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember buying my first acoustic, too. I had, like, this Takamine, like, electric acoustic sort of thing. And I was trying to decide between that or some, like, cheaper version. I remember my mom, like, kind of sitting me down and giving me, like, who knew nothing about instruments or anything. <laughs> but just being like, sometimes in life, you have to spend more, but you'll get what you pay for. And you'll be happy later on that you got something that was quality. And I remember Whoa. that sort of being, like, some... Uh, and I went for the you know money i was making raking leaves you know and spent you know so at that time i was like fuck all right but i spent it on this guitar and then still have that guitar to this day so Man. like and i think about like what my mom told me and how that's you know it's like sometimes just random stuff your parents tell you like winds up just wedging in there you're like oh okay yeah that might be true in life i could see that isn't that amazing like i think about that so much where it's like we are kind of we we're these perfect beings and then there's like something happens that like change just totally alters your perception and it could be something that Whoever altered it may or may not have meant to, but those tiny little things stick with you and it just changes. Every, like you probably thought of that so many times. Yeah. I mean, that's always just weird to me. What's, you know, you, you, you live a childhood and you have all these like, you know, millions of memories and what gets filtered out over time and what just happens to be left in, in, in the filter of like, oh yeah, I remember her saying that or different things and being like, uh yeah must have made some impact on my head or just you know it's, sometimes it's just some sort of elementary piece of advice that's like okay this keeps coming up in my brain when i'm buying stuff or thinking about things so nice they were musical were your were your folks musical i mean i you taking piano lessons my my parents didn't make like me take um, yeah my mom was very into music um and you know wanted me to play uh and often played music around the house you know there's a lot of like billy holiday and leonard cohen and bob dylan and sade and um stevie nicks and uh my dad was also into music not quite as much but they definitely i like apparently their one of their first dates ever was to that ravi shankar concert in new york and like uh um and my dad was really into Johnny Cash and like the blues and I think my mom also liked that so I remember them talking about like early on their dates would be like listening to music together and stuff so oh that's great yeah see that's so cool I mean I think about how like anything that my older like I was the oldest of I'm the oldest of four kids and I was my parents had me very young like 18 19 my uncles were like 14 or 15 so they were heavy like Bruce Springsteen Jay Giles, Bob Seeger, that type of thing. And my uncle, another uncle, very like Dylan and Joan Baez and like the more kind of Greenwich Village folk stuff. And my folks split. And then when they came back, my dad bought a house and put all his old records upstairs. And like I just was like enamored by these records, you know, and it, I just wanted so bad to like understand the music. So it gave me something to talk to him about mm -hmm. so i felt like music for me was kind of very like uh like hey dad i was listening to led zeppelin three and i that song you know to gallows pole is like really like what is that about you know and i would just try so hard to utilize music as a way to just like connect with my dad um 
they never really had it playing too much. It was almost kind of like he, he, uh, they split and he went and did his like child, like finished up childhood and then came back and was like, all right, I'm done with all that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's time to be a dad now. And like, but I'm so happy. He like at least brought them in the house and like left them upstairs. You sure. Know? I was bummed to find out, like I, I went to college, came back and, uh, we got a record player for my apartment in college. And I was like talking up my dad's collection. I was like, I'm going to go get all his records. Like you guys are going to be blown away. And he just, they were in the garage and they just melted. Like, he just let them melt. That sucks. And it was like, I've never seen anything like, it was so sad. Like, they were just warped. and Yeah, yeah. Man, it was brutal. Yeah. And talk about memories. Like, that was something that was, like, just such a weird, like, disappointing. Like, that's something that I would have, like, in all the moves I've done all over the country, like, I definitely would have made sure that those albums stayed like pristine or at least well now we know that vinyls made like this comeback in a way that like people respect it but there was an era where people probably just thought it was trash like oh what am i gonna do with who listens to vinyl anymore you know yeah i know right and he just didn't care about him at all which was which was strange well yeah also a lot of people i think go through a phase where they're intensely into music and then kind of outgrow it or just you know they don't you know people stop being into like what's hip and new and then there sort of fossilizes their tastes a little bit yeah Going to Chicago was that like? Um, I mean, did you like want to? Did you like Chicago? Did you visit Chicago before you went to school there? Was there some reason? I did visit there once. Uh, I mean, I just wanted to get out of my like my hometown was kind of small, and I was just ready to go somewhere. It was the opposite of Cheers. I wanted to go somewhere where no one knew my name. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it was right, like I wanted, totally. wanted to be anonymous. Uh, so no, I just kind of wanted to get out of where I was at at the time and didn't really know much, but. Um, went to school out there and um, wound up liking it. I mean, I still think Chicago is a cool, cool Chicago's city. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and so went to school there and just wound up staying there afterwards and, uh, you know, had a good experience. And then uh, eventually felt like I was, I, f- I feel like Chicago versus New York is, it's like boring, nice people versus interesting assholes. Mm-hmm. And so I felt mm-hmm. eventually I had to return to my tribe here, here on the East coast, but uh, I enjoyed my time there. Yeah. I did Denver for a while and, uh, it's the same. I just missed the New York, missed the New York energy so much when I was out there. But um, when you, I want to know about like your first, like when you you got this band together. You know, like did you go out there with the hopes of like I'm gonna I want to get together and play with some dudes and have a good time or was not it- really. So like I mean I went out to college and you know I you know I was just you know it wasn't until maybe like my junior year that I actually started like recording music and writing my own songs and. Um, playing gigs a little bit with another guy who I was in school with. And then from there, yeah, I, I probably always dreamed about being in a band, but that's when I started to be like, okay, let me try to actually do this. And, um, uh, so, and yeah, there was another guitar player who, uh, you know, I was playing with. And then we knew this guy who was, a you know, a guitar player and a, and a keyboard player, but we convinced him to play bass, you know, because no one ever wants to play bass. Yeah. So that was like an ongoing struggle throughout our band days. It was a, like, I remember this radio interviewer where uh, they asked him what instrument he plays. And he's like, bass, but, you know, that's not really what I like playing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like this constant. Yeah, but he, he also like wrote harmonies and played keyboard and a lot of stuff and was a talented musician. And then uh finding a drummer was actually the hardest part because you know i just remember us auditioning like different drummers and like some guy was like 300 pounds wearing like shorts and flip-flops would come in and he'd be a good drummer but i was like yeah i don't know if this guy fits with our look you know so i think he's like you know 45 years old too and 
Uh, and then you had, you know, it's tough to find a good drummer. And so we finally, uh, a girl I was dating at the time worked at like this copy shop, like a Kinko's place. And she's like, there's this guy I work with who plays drums and he's really into the flaming lips. I don't know. Maybe you guys should meet. And I was like, yeah. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, and then we wound up meeting and, uh, he, he fit in like a, like a hand in glove, you know, hand in a glove that fit. Yeah. Although he didn't want to be in a band. So we had to really convince him to be like, come on, dude, you he don't, didn't want to do it? don't make us put the guy with shorts and flip flops in the band. We need you. All right. <laughs> That's great. So like why, when, when you guys first like got together as like, you know, the four of you, like, do you remember your first practice? Do you remember your first, like, I think about my band downtown Brown at UConn and our first practice. And it's so weird to have, like, we do stand-up now, and you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're up there. There's no other ego. There's no other. It's such a lone thing. And when you're in a band, and I played rhythm, and I sang, and I wrote songs. I didn't, I was never a good, like, you know, lead guy or soloist or whatever. I just wanted to sing and play guitar and then get out of the way. Um, but getting together with other people and kind of trying to, like, figure out, you know, who's going to do what where and like the pacing and the you know it's very weird that you get to know people's personalities without actually like conversing like sure. verbally do you know what i mean totally did you feel that there was like did you, did you guys have like a little bit of like a, a kind of like a rocky start? yeah i mean it's like being married to three other dudes so there's certainly i don't we had a rocky start middle and end too you know yeah. so I, yeah but i mean i think that's part of the nature of you know like look at the band you know beatles or stones or you're like you know a lot of times people hate each other but they make really great music together as part of the Mm. part of the battle but yeah i think um then there's certainly like personality types that come out i think we had like the other guitar player was certainly more of like a george harrison like quiet type and so he'd be like when two people were fighting about something he's the one people would go to because he'd be like you know just sort of calm and peaceful about stuff um and then yeah there's like some tension over like who would sing certain songs and you know, you know. Sometimes you'd be like giving advice on what you think someone else's part should be, and like, you know, I remember our drummer would just constantly, "Yeah, you guys want you want me to play sleigh bell, right?" So it sounds like pet sounds. All right, great. Like just making fun of the idea of like, <laughs> yeah, you know, every every drum beat should sound like you know the Beatles playing rain, or so there was this like sort of go to, like sort of jokes eventually of like how we would talk to each other, what we wanted from each other, and but I think that tension is also part of like what made us pretty good, and like sort of like you know when you're everyone's sort of battling to be heard. I mean, I always think that's why the Beatles are so good is like you have four people who are all trying to get their Mm -hmm. musical voice into every song, into every, like when George has a guitar solo, he's going to make it really good because he's like, these fuckers won't let me write it or sing a song, so let me do it, you know? And like Paul is like genius musician, but so like when John's singing his song, he's like, all right, listen to this bass line because I'm going to go to town on this, you know? And I think there's some... uh, you know, healthy sort of competition that comes about from when you've got four people all trying to uh, collaborate on something. It's really incredible to think about, like, you know, I mean, I I worship the Beatles, and I think about that quite a bit. And at all the solo stuff, I mean, mean, Harrison to me is, is, I I love his solo stuff. I think All Things Must Pass is the best solo Beatles album. Yeah. 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 I love a lot of Wings that like songs here and there i'm a a john guy so i gotta like you know yeah i mean as far as like songs like to like imagine and watching the wheels and jealous guy and instant karma like i don't like i don't think those songs i don't think are are in a class of their own in in my head of like what i respond to versus like paul solo stuff Mm -hmm. yeah but they're all brilliant you know they're they're amazing and and then ringo um which he was 
Ringo's a great drummer. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. doesn't put out great solo albums, but like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. dude was an amazing, like, I was like so tasteful. Like, Ringo is such a, like, that people don't think Ringo is a great drummer is almost what's the greatest thing about him. Mm-hmm. It's like, everything he did was just right. You know, he didn't have to be like Keith Moon or John Bonham, but it's like, Ringo is classy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Charlie Watts, same thing. Totally. You know? Yeah. And then you got like a Ginger Baker that's just like a complete maniac. Sure. You know, sure. And, 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 uh, but it is, it's true, like every everything, you know, they were really trying to just put all of them kind of like keeping themselves better, getting themselves better and making sure the other ones stayed on their toes and not on their And toes. experimenting and innovating and trying to be like, oh, well, we've never done this before, let's try, you know, it's like, you know, they were real artists, I think, of, you know, in that, that 10 year span or whatever it was of sort of like pushing boundaries of being also like everyone in the world is watching us. We almost have to keep evolving because everyone keeps just ripping us off. It was unbelievable. 10 year span and that music that they put out. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's really, it's, it's just so unreal. I think about that so much, the impact that they still have, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a enormous Grateful Dead fan and Scorsese is coming out with a long, strange trip. It's a four and a half hour documentary about the dead and it's going to be out on uh, Amazon in May or early June. And I, I know so much about them. I've studied them, I've, I, but I'm still dying to see more, and I mm-hmm. want more. And with their new incantation and John Mayer taking Jerry Garcia's role, and, I mean, they're making more as, like, you know, the dead or whatever their name is now than they ever have. And it's grown, and it's 50-something years later. And that music that they just five guys getting together and, like... Well, they're also a culture. Like, I feel like they're, like... Being into the dead is like a lifestyle choice. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but like also, yeah, you can you can turn that into a huge thing if you if you kind of own a whole lifestyle if your music well, is symbolized. Yeah. Like, look at Jimmy Buffett. Not to compare the two artistically, heads, but yeah. like you know, the guy has like created an entire culture around like whatever his dumb songs are. But like, how much money does he make from like owning Margaritavilles now versus mm-hmm. whatever he ever did in music? Did you know that he uh, is now putting together? Uh, retirement homes <laughs> i read some headline heads. about that yeah good good luck to him <laughs> fucking, i mean it, it's it's kind of a brilliant brilliantly idiotic thing yeah i mean do. i would have said jimmy buffett was making a bad decision with at every step of his life and he's proven me wrong yeah. over and over again <laughs> no, so who am i to comment yeah. his beer his land shark beer is like co-owner of the miami dolphins in some way oh really it's so weird it's insane but yeah like i i think about that a lot with the dead and about the thing that i feel like you may fall into a trap with when you're into a band that's very like scene heavy is you start to put blinders on and you don't really, it's like only the Grateful Dead, only Fish, only jam bands. That, you know As a I, listener, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you don't open yourself up to other things. And what sure. I have always liked to do, and I think I've done this with comedy too, is I look at the people that influence me and I want to listen to who influenced them. So in listening to the Grateful Dead, I got to know the Beatles and I got to know, because I started listening to the Dead when I was probably like nine years old or so. And from there, it went to Bluegrass, like Lead Belly, Johnny Cash, Dylan, like all that. Mm-hmm. And then that even led into like, you know, like African music and stuff like the jazz influence and the like the Zydeco, like, mm-hmm. you know, New Orleansy stuff. And that's when you kind of start to realize like, yeah, sure. It's the Grateful Dead was the vehicle that brought eclectic thought to me. 
And I try to just now take that into other aspects of my life where you can be very, whether it's food, whether it's travel, you know, like, like uh, there, I, I find the elements that I like about the Grateful Dead and, you know, comedy to be similar where I don't like every show to be the same. And I, I, I like that with my daily life. Like, I don't want to go through the routine. I like the idea that it, each uh, stand-up show you do, you have, like, a drums and space section where yeah. everyone's like, are we supposed to go to the bathroom right now? What is he, <laughs> what is he doing? What, what's going on? Are you a 23-minute yeah. vowel solo? Yeah, yeah. You just you only say one word every, like, you know, 25 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I think about that so much, like, how, how weirdly different, like, if you could do... And I think sometimes when I write jokes, I leave in, like I leave one or two words open for me to like throw a different year and a different like uh, analog analogous thing or a different example in, mm-hmm. you know, just to try to keep myself on my toes a little totally. bit. Totally, yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to hear back to your band. Like, did you like? Was it one of those things where it was like we got to run home and practice, or was it like just you know let me know when you're free and and we'll? No, no, we were pretty serious about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we we played shows uh every few weeks in chicago and we'd tour around and play like in the midwest a lot we toured like east coast a couple times you know put out like three albums recorded three albums anyway and uh no we were legit going for it it's awesome did you ever co-write with someone did you ever try that like collaborating lyrically on a song well, we would all, like, a lot of times the song ideas would start, you know, I, you know, one of us would come in with a kernel of a song idea, and then we'd kind of hash it out together, so there was definitely a lot of collaboration. I'd say more musically than lyrically, like, I wound up writing most of the lyrics, um, but musically, I think we definitely, like, there was a push and pull process of, like, hey, here's the idea, but, like, you know, what do you think would work, and then, you know, sort of being like, oh, this, what if, what if it does this instead of that, and kind of like uh like let's try stuff and also you know it's just more interesting when you if you i was in a band with really good musicians like i was definitely like the worst musician out of the four of us so for me it was always like yeah i'm gonna come in with something simple and you guys will make it like a little bit more interesting or a little more like oh yeah i didn't think about going to like a major seventh chord there or something but that would be cool and you know sort of starting off with like some sort of here's here's the skeleton but like you know letting them like add add muscle and flesh and bones and the rest of it. i guess bones are in a skeleton but you know what i mean i know what you mean yeah yeah absolutely some people get like extra bones put in <laughs> um did you guys used to uh be inebriated when you played or was it a sober endeavor uh we'd have, have like a couple drinks but try not to be like hammered hammered okay. i mean yeah. it's definitely like uh you know especially if you've got intricate parts that you're playing or things i mean same way i feel about stand-ups like yeah i'll have a, like a drink or two if it helps me like loosen up a little bit but like i don't want to be slurring gotcha yeah <laughs> absolutely the reason why i ask is uh we went a little heavy on we, we would like we would like do ecstasy all of us would take it together and then go play and we thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Like when we were up there, we would look at each other and be like, we're like, this is incredible. Like we're so tight. We're so together. We're fast. We're, and then we'd listen to it the next day and it sounded like a fucking train wreck. Yeah. yeah. And it's so weird when you're up there and it's like, it had to be nerves. Like it just, I wanted to be out of that, that place. Like, and, and, and and I don't ever feel this place. I'm going to describe, like, I don't feel it would stand up. But I always wonder. I wanted the other guys to be having a great time. I was very nervous about like a lot. Like my band was kind of we we. It wasn't a joking around band, but like 
you know, we took time and learned a lot of Zappa tunes and a lot of like Zevon and a lot of like, you know, a couple Steely Dan tunes all the way down to like Electric Avenue. All right. But then like I would write like a bunch of songs and I really wanted it to be something that like I hated school. I was just in school to not work. Right. And and I wanted so bad to have like a fun band that we were going to maybe take off and travel the world and be the Grateful Dead and, you know, that whole thing. And uh, I wanted so bad for everybody to have a good time that it would get in the way of me having a good time. And I think that's maybe why, like, doing, like, just getting, getting like, really messed up before going up. Yeah, I, th- I think I wanted us to be good more than I wanted us to have a good time. <laughs> I wish I felt that way. Yeah. I think most of my life has been about having a good time versus being good at what you do you know sure yeah no i'm not saying no. all aspects of my life i've uh followed through on on this path <laughs> but uh no i get it no it's yeah feeling good is way better than caring <laughs> you know i mean isn't yeah. this the isn't this the appeal of drugs and alcohol it's <laughs> like yeah i was gonna care but now i just feel good exactly <laughs> you know it's like exactly. it's all pretty you know good solution to a problem it totally is it totally is <laughs> I think with stand-ups really the first time that I kind of was like, all right, it's time to buckle down and like really from the first time I went up and, and after it was kind of one of those like. Well, st- also that you're just on your own there mm. is a huge like there's no it's you and if it's not going well, it's you, you know, there's no there's no diluting it with other people or volume or, you know, no. you know, melodies or anything like that. It's it's happening. And so I feel like that kind of forces you into sort of a fight or flight mode a little bit too. Absolutely. Yeah. And with, with, with our band, I mean, it was just all about the party and all about, and I'm so glad I got that out of my system and I learned from music before doing stand up. you know? I mean, I, I, I really didn't take it. I never learned how to read. Did you know how to read music? Reading music? No. No. Were you a rhythm guitar player, or were you a... I'd play some solos, too. Yeah. Our other guitar player, I would say, was more like the lead guy, but we'd trade off and uh, kind of have some interplay sometimes. So, I, I mean, I thought maybe because like, you took piano lessons early that you may have learned... Uh, it all disappeared. It all evaporated. I mean, I can hunt and peck on a keyboard, but no, yeah. I'm not a real piano player. I would look at the dots on, on, a, on a scale, like, and they literally would all just drop off the page. Like, I couldn't put it together how it never made sense and i took music courses in college i took like private lessons and it just never stuck but there was something about like once you learn the landscape of a neck and you know like where to maybe like maybe skip the two middle strings when you're strumming this or like pluck the mm-hmm. outer e's and you know to me that was more enjoyable like kind of almost like giving it your own dialect Instead of having to play like intricately perfect. Yeah, I mean, I was always uh, like a rock and roll guy, so it never seemed that important. Like if I was doing like jazz or classical or something else, maybe it would have been like shit. I I really got to learn how to read music. But like for me, it was not uh, like I don't know what it. I'm not sure exactly how much it would have helped me Mm -hmm. within the context of being in a rock and roll band and trying to do what we were doing. You know. Yeah. When you were in Chicago, did you and your band members go see other shows together? Like, would you guys go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not always like the four of us, but often, you know, a couple of us or sometimes all of us. But yeah, I mean, also, we, you know, sort of you're you're doing shows all the time. So you're, you know, seeing tons of bands together that way. And then just, yeah, I lived across the street from Empty Bottle, which is still there. It's a cool rock club. So I'd be hanging out there all the time with, you know, some of the other guys. Mm. Do you still play anymore? Not that much. I mean, I, I recorded some songs a couple of years ago, but like... 
I really liked being in a band and then, you know, I'm, I'm not that crazy about just being some dude who's like got an acoustic guitar and sing songs and never uh, appealed to me in quite the same way. And then once I got into stand up, I feel like that was sort of a, a rabbit hole that I got swallowed up by. And it was like, a, OK, I don't want to try to be doing too much, you know, when it's it's hard enough to, you know, get good and devote enough time to one thing. Yeah, we picked a pretty hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We picked a very hard thing to do. But it's a really easy place to do it. So. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah, great. <laughs> I know, right? Can't go wrong. But I guess, like, one of the things I think about sometimes is, like, did I take anything from my time in a band? And and has it at all, like, translated over to stand-up? Like, do you ever think about, like... I do. I mean, yeah. Because, like, I, you know, I started stand-up late. And, like, on some level, I could see being like, oh, man, I wish I hadn't waited so long. But on another level, it's like, I don't regret ever, like, the time I spent being in a band and what it's taught me about life and creating and art and what it, you know, changed the way I think and changed, you know, sort of who I hung out with. And just, you know, to me, rock and roll is sort of like... um I mean, I guess it'd be dramatic to call it a religion, but it's like a philosophy. It's not just, you know, a kind of music. It's a way of like, especially like the era that I was coming from, you know, it's sort of like indie rock, DIY, you know, sort of like not, not that I was into like Steve Albini stuff, but like just sort of this ethos of like not selling out and, you know, making your own shit happen. And like things can be rough around the edges if they've got heart and just trying to, you know, Johnny Cash giving the finger to Nashville and this sort of like ethos of like, here's what matters in life and fuck the man and meet the new boss same as the old boss and like all that shit is to me is bigger than you know music that's an attitude that you bring towards like how you lead your life and how you view uh art and people and everything that you're doing that's you know embedded in who i am from those years that i spent in a band and like you know i'm very grateful to have had those experiences and to have realized those things yeah did you find rock and roll on your own, or were you like, old, was there an older brother, older sister? I had an older sister who definitely, you know, slipped me a mixtape with like, you know, some Boston and Bad Company and, you know, Van Morrison and Eric Clapton on it that, like, I remember being like, wait, what is this? This is, you know, like, and kind of getting into it from there. And definitely, yeah, she had good taste. And so I think I, uh, like, the first concert I ever went to was David Bowie because she brought me along. Get so, the fuck out. yeah. Oh, um, man. With uh, Peter Frampton and Adrian Ballou on guitar. Oh, my God. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. At the Meadowlands. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely very fortunate to have a cool older sister who helped uh, guide me on, in that way. Adrian Ballou and Frampton playing with Bo. What year, do you remember what year that was? 80s, late 80s. Glass Spider Tour. Um, it wasn't like his best era musically, but it was still great to see Bowie live. You know? yeah. Yeah. Did you know he lived like right on Great Jones? I knew he was in, like, Soho or around here somewhere. Yeah, so I guess he was right on Great Jones. And uh, from what I've heard, he had a, like, a cottage type, like, like a small house put on the roof of the building, like, built up there. And he lived, like, atop the, like, the rooftop of, of this apartment building. And he would just come downstairs and, like, stand in the doorway and smoke cigarettes. And people, like, he was a, very friendly to all the neighbors mm. and everything else. But I guess he pretty much just hung up there most of the It's kind of weird to think. Every now and then you, for, I forget. I mean, I grew up, you know, in Connecticut. It's not like I grew up in like Michigan and moved here, but you forget the pl like we're sitting in the East Village. Like the Fillmore East is right across the street. Yeah, yeah. The amount of people, like who knew who lived in these apartments, you know, and who like Hendrix had a place right on St. Mark's yeah. for a while, and I mean, 
it's kind of amazing when you think about what went on here. And, I agree. And I mean, just the, the no. I mean, two blocks away, you had like the entire scene with like the Ramones and Talking Heads and Blondie and television and like all of them just congregating like a few blocks from where we're talking right now, just hanging out like at the bar and playing shows together. And it's like, I mean, I think it's part of what's sad about, you know, how Manhattan's gone is like that. There'll never be like, that'll never happen again. You, you know, think so? yeah, it's just economically infeasible. You got a bunch of condo buildings instead of rock clubs around, you know, there's not, you need like uh, a good scene like that as a stew of like cool venues and cheap places to live and people who can, you know, make noise and like all that's gone from Manhattan totally now. Gone. So, yeah. Do you think it's just gone from Manhattan, though? Um, or do you feel like... Well, Manhattan it's weird. What I used to say is, like, there will never be a great rock and roll band from Manhattan ever again, which is a bummer. But, like, I don't know if there's great rock and roll bands anymore. I don't know if kids care. Like, you know, which is cool. It's like, let's evolve. But, you know, I I do... I like instruments. And I think, you know, sort of what we were talking about, four people being in a room and figuring stuff out together and, like, not not just relying on like electronics and computers and you know like i understand that it's easier to make stuff that way but i think there's some holistic or organic stuff you get out of people being in a room playing instruments together that uh is is being lost along the way but the kids are gonna like what the kids are gonna like they ain't gonna they ain't gonna care what i say about it we don't have to like the kids though ah i gotta like the kids (laughs) if if you don't like the kids then then you're you're old grumpy dude so gotta gotta watch out for that i went to wilco saturday at the beacon how was it it was phenomenal it was Ah, you like this i was at wilco's first show ever in chicago at the lounge x get the really yeah because oh, I was wow. an Uncle Tupelo fan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like uh, Jeff Tweedy, who wound up marrying or had a kid with the woman who runs Lounge Axe, uh, would always, like, I saw him do some acoustic shows there. And then the first Wilco show was there. And you were there? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Thanks. I mean, that's killer. That's, I, I love, I absolutely love Wilco. They're a good band. They put on such a phenomenal show. And to see him at the Beacon and, uh, you know, it was a weird, I wanted to, to kind of, like, it was a sit-down concert. Right. Which, I don't like that. I, and I, I, it Depends on the act, but I can see how Wilco, you want to be up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and it's not even, I mean, it's more of kind of out of common courtesy for the person behind me. I'll yeah, it just makes it. everything sterile. I you get it. Sure, and, sure. And, but there are very, like, definitely times, I was very happy I had a very drunk woman behind me who... The minute she heard her favorite song, she was up dancing around like she was pulling my shirt and was like, come on, there get up, go. get up. And there I was you like, go. here we go. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I I think about there's bands now that I mean, look, I go see Fish. I go see the bands that I'm always going to go see. Um, there are a couple bands that are on my list that I haven't seen yet that I'm dying to see. And this year I'm going to be able to catch uh, across two of them off the list. Uh, Tool is going to be over at uh, Randall's Island, and and the Shins are going to be in Brooklyn. And, now you, uh, you don't hear people often say, I'm really excited to see Tool and the Shins. Tool and the Shins. <laughs> I know. Well, I Maybe mean, they need to tour together. Yeah, like, yeah, you'll be the, the lone member of the audience. <laughs> you'll be the one. Yeah. <laughs> Tickets will be easy to get. So yeah. Is there anybody that you're dying to see right now that you haven't seen? Uh, dying to see that I haven't seen. Um. It's a good question. Pulp is a band that I, I wish I could see live. Um, although I've seen Jarvis Cocker. Uh, who am I dying to see? I don't know. You know what my thing is? 
the people who I would respond to the most are like in that way are probably old. And I don't always buy into this. Like, I don't want to see the stones right now. Me neither. Like I love the stones. But, and I, I mean, I saw them a while ago, but like that to me is not the same band. Like yeah. I don't like, you know, I don't want to see George Foreman fight right now either. You know what I'm, I'm saying? You, it's yeah. like, I like, yeah. I like see like the, like spoons going on tour. I'm really like, I love spoon. Like that's a band that's, on it right now that's right. that's hitting it and that's great that i love to see live i also like like i'm much more into seeing people in a smaller venue than a larger venue if i can so like a lot of times like to me the best kind of show i'm gonna see is not like i've been waiting for this person and they're playing this arena it's more like okay there's this band that i think might be good yeah and i'm gonna go see them live and then i'm like blown away by them sort of thing so at like you know bowery ballroom or something like that sure um Shins just did Bowery Ballroom on the night of that blizzard. Cool. How was that? I didn't go. Oh, come on. I was uh, out of town, but I want to go to, uh, they're going to be doing Prospect Park, which will be a lot of fun. There's going to be a new venue, Brooklyn Steel. Yeah, yeah. Which I've is great. heard about it. Because Brooklyn Bowl's closing. I didn't know that. All right. A developer bought the entire block and is. Oh, that's where the new Vice stuff is going up. up. Yeah. Blows. Vice. But there you go. That's just like what you were saying. I mean, that's a. That's a fun venue. I don't know if you've been to any shows I have, there. I have. Yeah, so uh, I think Kurt Vile was the last show I saw there. I would love to see Kurt Vile. You would love Kurt Vile. He's yeah, great. I think he's a great guitar player, yeah, too. Yeah, really fun, so, like very fun songs, but like good writing, good rhythm. Yeah, and live there's definitely like sort of like this Neil Youngy kind of vibe to the whole thing. That's very cool. Oh, great. Yeah, they, they stretch that. out. Yeah, that's awesome. That was a great show I saw recently. I saw Neil Young at Red Rocks in uh, oh. Colorado, and it was... There's a guy who... I mean, it, every song was anti-GMO. Like, it was really <laughs> just the whole thing about, like... Yeah, poison yeah Neil's a little crotchety these days. It was interesting. You want know what was funny, too, is I was in Edmonton doing comedy, and I brought up Neil Young, and I got booed. And then I got off stage, and I was like, why are you guys pissed at Neil Young? And uh, they said he, he showed up in Edmonton to do a show, and he went on stage and was, like, preaching about, like how like because edmonton's i guess like big like oil right, right. oil town you know place and um the whole time he was on he had like his his van like five vans and a couple buses like running outside like burning oil and somehow they took that as like a double standard okay it's like so that's why you're gonna be mad at him like, that's a weird that's not a reason to boo a comic that says neil young yeah, that whole chain of thought weird. seems yeah, seems very, bizarre to me. <laughs> Edmontonian. Um, do you have a favorite venue in New York that you like to go see shows at? I know you mentioned Bowery. I, I do like Bowery. Bowery. Uh, Mercury Lounge is cool for like smaller stuff. Um, I feel like Rockwood Music Hall is a pretty cool space for like acoustic people. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. Baby's All Right in Williamsburg. I've seen some decent shows there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Webster Hall is a pretty cool spot. Yeah, I've seen some good shows there. A bit. Um, I dislike Terminal Five. Oh, I hate Terminal Five. Roseland Ballroom closed, and I used to see. I saw a couple great shows there. I saw Primus. I saw Radiohead. I saw the Strokes there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. What did you feel? Did you think that I I I caught a couple Roseland very yeah. I got a couple bad shows there, just like sound wise. Yeah, it was a while ago, so I don't remember. I didn't have strong feelings either way. Mm. You know. Sometimes you, our venue reaches a certain size. You're just like, okay, this is it is what it is. Yeah. Do you find yourself going back? Like, are you still rock and roll to the to the core? You still listen to a lot of. I mean, I love I love rock and still listen to a lot. I I probably expanded a little bit more to you know some more like jazz stuff and R and B and uh, you know some world music type stuff and uh, electronic things. 
but yeah mm. i mean i like uh i like soul music that's got good soul so that can come in all different forms you know if it just seems like real and it's you know yeah. i like melodies like i feel like that's kind of disappearing from music a little bit which is a bit of a bummer for me because you know like uh i like i like things that are catchy and hooky and sound good but also you know got got a little substance to them yeah i've been on a little bit of a meters kick uh meters are great been, yeah, yeah it's been it's fun to like go back and remember how much you love like a little subgenre or something you know? well they also have like 80 albums and it's like every every song you hear about them you're like damn this is this tight is <laughs> yeah no, really um a while back you you uh you had a loss in your you know your your family and you wrote this really incredible thing and I remember I contacted you about it and you probably got contacted by a million people because it was very heartfelt and um, I always weirdly quietly to myself wonder if people turn to music in certain times in their life you know mm -hmm. and uh, I just wanted to ask you about it first like yeah know, yeah it, 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 no it's a good question. Um, I remember so my dad had cancer and I remember uh, like I mean it's fucking heavy you know and so like I would want to get out of the house and like go for a run or something mm -hmm. and I definitely remember going for a run one day and listening to an album by a band called The Antlers Okay. and uh, the album's called Hospice and uh, I don't know the songwriter's name but I'm pretty sure it's about him his mother dying and going through that process and I remember like also, the Eels like put out an album. I think about his mom or dad dying. I remember listening. Like I was kind of seeking out, like some like, like it was just some heavy shit that I was going through. And so, like, okay, what albums do I know where someone is actually like going after this stuff? So Leonard Cohen, I remember listening to. But um, yeah, I don't know. You want you know? It's like you know, you're trying to like have. It's not going to make you feel better, but maybe there's just some some depth of feeling that seems in the same arena, or that's yeah. like you know, kind of connecting on some level with like a sense of loss or you know i think a lot of a lot of great songs are you know i think like leonard cohen's a good example where like th is the song about a relationship is it about uh, uh, a lover is it about a family member is it about death is it about you know the news is it about politics and like sometimes you have like really good songwriters i think are able to like mix in things that are working on multiple levels that you know can kind of hit you at an angle like um dylan i think is also that way yeah um yeah, absolutely dylan but yeah i think um yeah and then i think just going back to maybe you know it's almost like comfort food you want like like i love tom petty so maybe just like listening to like albums that i knew and loved and just sort of wanting to like kind of go back to something that felt sort of like a safe zone on some level yeah um and then, yeah, like someone like Nick Drake or something like that. I feel like, you know, it's like, I, but I like a lot of like dark, depressing music anyway. Yeah. So it's, it's not like <laughs> totally. a huge stretch, you know, yeah. necessarily if they're, if I'm going through something. But like, uh, um, those are some of the artists that come to mind, I guess. Yeah. No, I, and, and that's, you know, I appreciate you answering it because it's something that, you know, when you're dealing with something, no matter what it is, you kind of, I feel like with music, it's almost kind of like you just like close your eyes and, and reach out and something will put its hand out for you. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to go find it, but you can. No, it's like, beautiful. You know, yeah, no, I remember. All right, so this was that same time. I remember, so, you know, my dad has cancer. He's, like, you know, zonked out on morphine, and, like, he's at home, but, like, I just remember. And so, like, people are, like, putting on the TV for him, and it's just, like, life is just kind of happening to him. And I remember noticing, like, what his shows on TV was. It would be, like, you know, CNN, 
Fox News, CSI, Law and Order, you know, and just this and just sort of listening there when someone's like kind of like passed out and not really into it and being like, this is just like the steady like stream of like death and murder and bad news and terrorism and like like everything is just like this negative drip, drip, drip that comes out of this box that old people sit in front of all, all the time. And being like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna turn this off and put on some Johnny Cash because I remember my dad loved Johnny Cash. So like, you know, and put on like some Leonard Cohen and put on like some other music that I knew that he loved because I I didn't want like his final days to be this this spewing of like negativity that just comes out of the TV and like old people tune in on just because they get off on it on some on some level. When like I felt like it was much more of a time for like, oh, why don't we talk about like you know good times and look at old photos and listen to beautiful music and like kind of celebrate things that we love instead of like you know adding fuel to the fire of like you know like oh god you know it's like i don't want to hear like about detectives solving some gruesome murder case when like yeah. there's a dude with cancer right here who's like you on his TV, last like, you know like, days exactly i could i and the funny thing is i never noticed it my dad had that shit on all the time, but it wasn't until he was like zonked out on morphine with cancer that I started actually li- listening to what is pouring into his brain or out of this TV all the time. It's not just him. It's like, like yeah. it's like all these you know old Fox News people who are like, you know, like, of course they think America is going to hell. Of course they think everything's terrible. Of course they think, you know, every Muslim's trying to blow them up. It's like, this is just what's fed into them. This is the drip that they get in their, like, you know, media f- feed all the time. It's, it's, it's some dangerous stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely terrible. And um, to that point, I think that what was, uh, in, uh, uh, what was it, last November, two Novembers ago? An uncle of mine who – my dad's parents died when I was very, very young. Like I don't even remember meeting them. And uh, my, my, my aunt, who was my dad's older sister, her and her husband kind of like were like surrogate grandparents in a way, you know? And I learned about a lot. I learned like Dylan and that's that Greenwich Village guy I was telling you about, mm-hmm. the Beatles and all that stuff. And uh, Yale Bowl used to have great concerts, you know, like they, they saw Zeppelin, Janis Joplin, Hendrix, like back in the very early 70s. Uh, and then the, the town petitioned like a noise ordinance. So they stopped having concerts at Yale Bowl, which really blows for New Haven because that could have been a pretty great, you know, um, long story short, I'm on the road for a couple weeks doing shows. And my, I got a call from my mom and she's like, your uncle's got uh, liver cancer. And, you know, he's not doing it's very aggressive. So he loved milkshakes and everybody's like talking about how his digestion's bad and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't I I didn't even pay attention. I'm like, I had it in my mind. The minute I heard he was sick, I was like, I'm going to get him a chocolate milkshake from Glenwood. It's like this little hot dog joint around the corner from his house. So I brought him a milkshake and um, he was almost too weak to drink it out of the straw. So like. You know, I kind of like stirred it up for him and all he was talking about. And I felt like he felt like he had to talk about his sickness, Mm -hmm. you know. And I told him, I said, I saw a poster the other day for Zeppelin and Janice at Yale Bowl. I'm like, you were telling me that you went to that and you could almost see like his shoulders kind of relaxed. And he just like took a deep breath and he got a big smile on his face and he's like, it was like the hottest day of the year. And like he just went into like this kind of memory. And I knew the story. I've heard it a thousand mm-hmm. times, but I just let him talk it out and listen to it, you know. And just him telling that story, it seemed to lighten him up a little bit, you know. And uh, 
it's it's that like taking your mind off of the inevitable taking your mind off of like the present is shit sometimes you know and why not go to a great memory or a great story or whatever and music always seemed to be that thing that kept everyone in my family kind of like together whether it was a story or a song and uh that was the last time i ever saw i went on the i went back out on the road and got a call and he was you know he had passed away so my last memory of him i hope that knowing my family being a very like kind of black veil like godfather kind of italian family um i knew that everyone was like kind of inundating him with that kind of like you know CSI, CNN type stuff, but from their mouth instead of the TV. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that moment that we had kind of was maybe a little bit of a breath of fresh air for him, you know? It definitely was for me because I was able to hold on to that as like my last, you know, memory. Totally. It was to hear him talk about seeing Jimmy Page and hearing Janice for the first time and how she squealed and like people were like, you know, he was explaining people's facial expressions while they were on acid that he was around and. Just really wonderful, you know, and, and and it's great that you took the time to just kind of like change the channel for what your what your dad was was hearing, because, I mean, you hear all the time now about how like there are hospitals with folks that have Alzheimer's and they put on music from their childhood and it helps somehow yeah. like bring them back. Music's incredibly religious and powerful and, and medicinal. And, and jog strange memories like what well, this is a weird thing that I've noticed sometimes is that uh I'll hear a song and I'll specifically, because sometimes, uh, especially when I'm traveling, I'll run. I'll go running and I'll listen to an album when I'm running and a song will come on and I'll instantly remember exactly being in Victoria, B.C. or being like in Amsterdam or somewhere else and being like, this song triggers this exact memory of this day and this place where I was, which I think some people, other people have with smells. I don't get that with smells, but songs will definitely like trigger some specific like, oh shit, I immediately... I don't understand that part of my my brain doesn't normally work that way. Right. So it's a very bizarre thing when I'm like I'll just hear a song and I instantly be like, "Oh yeah, it was like February, you know, 2010 and I was in this I was running on this path in this place." And it's like, "Wow, that's weird." Okay. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. It's it's music is such an we were talking the other day about how like we've met people who just don't like music, who are just like what and they just don't know. How do you not I put music on when I leave the house, so when I come back, like, I come back to music. Like, I don't like not having, I, I try to, like, I don't know. I just, there's something about, it's very, like, you know, music tames the savage beast. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, I like, girls who say they don't like receiving oral sex or something. I'm like, oh, you probably just, <laughs> you maybe just maybe you don't, but I don't know. Yeah, tongue, like, man. something, you know? Like, um, before we wrap up, I want to talk about your album. I know that you just recorded an album, and I, I want did, everybody yeah. to know about it. And uh, what was the recording process like, and where'd you do it, and all that stuff? Taped it in uh, Chicago uh, at a show called Comedians You Should Know. Great uh, show. Yeah, great show, great, great room. Um, and you know, I used to live out there, so I had you know some old friends in the crowd, which was nice. Um, yeah, and, uh, it's coming out, uh, Friday, March 31st, uh, 800 pound gorilla records is releasing it and be available. Oh, my name is Matt Ruby. The name of the album is hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and yeah, no, it, w- it went great. I'm really, I'm proud of it. I think it's good. I think it's, uh, you know, I've been doing stand up a while and so it feels good to kind of have, uh, an outlet for a lot of these, uh, jokes that I've been working on and, uh, 
yeah, I think it's I think it's a complete picture of me as like uh, my life and who I am and what I struggle with and how I think and uh, who uh, who how I'm full of shit and who else I think is full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. And people will be able to find it obviously on iTunes. Yeah, it should be that. on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all that other good stuff. That's so great. Um, dude, I can't I can't thank you enough for coming and talking. I hope you had fun. I did. It was um, fun. It's uh, it's so cool when you can, uh, especially with comedy when you're an adult and we're kind of like, you know, round two of childhood, I kind of feel like stand up at night, like we're all out kind of running around playing with our friends. It's always cool to meet people that you can kind of like, you know, you know, they're into music and like there's just a certain air of like approachability and chill with people that are, you know. Yeah, if someone's really into music, I'm usually like, yeah, I'll get along with that person on yeah. some level, you yeah. know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, we're going to find some common ground to yeah. talk about. So Even if we like different music, I'm just like, okay, at least you, you get it. Yeah. So, yeah, you have that passion. But group. if anyone wants to hear, like, uh, some of my band stuff is online. So Plastics Hi-Fi was the name of my band that I was talking about in Chicago. We got an album called Homebrewed that I think is available on, like, Spotify and iTunes and stuff. And then... Matt Ruby, I never do this sort of thing. I had a solo music album that I put out. So oh, dude, if anyone awesome. wants to dive deep into a Matt Ruby black hole, <laughs> you can get into it. Um, do you ever go back and listen to the band? Once in a while. Like when I listen to our music, all I hear is it's like I'm like an architect looking at the blueprints. I don't yeah, see the building anymore. So it's like I just hear different parts. But like, you know, I think we were good. And like, it's definitely, it's always interesting too going back to be like, you know what, this song that I was on the fence, I think this is really good. And then some other song that you would have been like, yeah, this was great. You're like, eh, whatever, you know. Yeah. Sometimes just the way it's recorded too. Like so much of making an album is the actual recording process, especially for us because we were very sort of layered and psychedelic and a bunch of different stuff going on. So like, oh, I'm I, super excited I think, to listen uh, to it, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think uh, how we recorded stuff was as important as the actual songs we were recording. That's great. That's so cool. Thanks so much, man. Thanks Where for having me. Where can everybody find you? Uh, uh, MattRubyComedy.com is my website, which you can just go there to get the album, too. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at MattRuby. I'm on Facebook, MattRubyComedy. I think you can search for me that way. And I'm on Instagram at Ruby Matt. That's enough, right? That's I, like, I, I, I see someone out there. Wait, wait, slow down. I'm writing this all down. It's like, come on. All right. Spell Ruby. <laughs> R-U-B-Y, like the gem. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, keep supporting live music. Keep supporting live comedy. Uh, tell your friends about Jamcast. If there's folks you want to hear us interview, talk about, you name it, we're going to do it. we got a lot of great interviews coming up soon. Uh, at Jamcast Pod on Twitter, at Mike Fenoya on Twitter, and MikeFenoya.com for dates. Got a bunch of stuff coming up on the road. And you can check my album out, Mike Fenoya Live in Burlington, on iTunes and at MikeFenoya.com. Look at the cover art. It's cool. Yeah, Bruno Tracy did it. And Champ, the uh, Lo- Lake Champlain has their own Loch Ness monster. I didn't know that. That's Champ right there. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he's a cool dude. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Keep listening. We'll see you on the other side. Peace.